Welcome back to the Urantia Radio Podcast. Glad you could be here. Byron Beletzos, part two of our interview, delving into the significant difference in the way Eastern and Western Christianity has evolved, as he outlines in his new book. Plus, Byron is quite candid about why the Urantia book plays such an important role in ensuring that evil does not prevail. The book is The Truth About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic and Intricate Theodicy on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Welcome to Urantia Radio. Again, our guest, part two of our two-part series with Byron Beletzos, who has written a book called The Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic. We've been talking a lot about how theologians of the past have contemplated the theory of free will versus predetermination. And we've delved into the reasons of the theodicy and why that conversation is so compelling. Now, last time we spoke to Byron on part one of our two-part interview, we covered the overall points of his latest book, about truth, sin, and the demonic. Now let's continue with our time with Byron Beletzos on the Rancher Radio podcast. The more I read and the more I see your your points are being made, I think you've, you've connected dots unintentionally. I don't think you meant to connect them, but you've connected them. The Rancher book, anybody who is interested in theodicy of these great thinkers for the past 2,000 years would be very appreciative of the theodicy of the Rancher book. And so tell us what the, the theodicy of the Urantia book is. The theodicy of the UB is, uh, is, a, uh, is a synthesis, and I would call it a creative synthesis, of the uh, best ideas of, of, of the past that I, that I feel have I, I've identified, many of them. Um, and it uh, adds the cosmological revelation that none of them could envision. Although Whitehead, for example, envisions a very big part of it, but the the theodicy of the ranch book, not only in dialogue with theologians, but also in dialogue really with cosmology uh, of the past, and uh, but then upgrading it and updating it greatly with the notion of the central universe and the distinction between evolution and eternity, and that distinction was played with by Christians, but nothing like this. And um, so, its theodicy depends a lot on uh, knowing that the time-space evolutional realm is its kind of own autonomous domain of, of value, value expression that is subsists within the, the, the master universe. And, and the relationship of the two is the theodicy. The theodicy is that paradise perfection is in, is in a, a relationship with with our imperfection, our evil, our, our sin. It, it, it's, uh, it coexists, you might say, with the darkness of, of space and time evolution and is the great goal of all of us who, who are uh, coming up from, from the bottom. And, and so theodicy is, it says that the grace that's pouring out from the, you know, from, from the, from the deities and paradise deities is is more than sufficient uh, to compensate for the imperfection, evolutionary imperfection, and um, we need only accept it um, and and then work with it. But to help us again, this is the Odyssey. They recognize we we start as as animals with animal instincts for survival, in which 
you know, for our survival depends on being, um, you know, actually violent in, in certain ways. And that, that they, they, they obviously see that. And so they're doing a lot more than, than, than say what Whitehead would say. They're, they're sending incarnations. They're sending uh, spiritual influences such as the Spirit of Truth and the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're sending revelations of book form. These are all parts of the theodicy, which is that we're doing everything through these domains, the domains of the Trinity. The Trinity has various domains. The angelic uh, angels are emanating from the third source and center. That's part of the theodicy, too, because angels are helping us, you know, taking us by the hand and pulling us out of uh out of darkness mm-hmm. but it's not just them we got the indwelling spirit from the father it's, and it's not just that we've got the the son sending incarnations <clears throat> so it's the odyssey is is very dynamic but it's open it's not determined you know the other big part of this is that it's open rather than determinative because my mm-hmm. my view and this is a bit of a unique interpretation for me is that it's the odyssey is like that of this new school called the open theists, which says that, yep, God is all powerful. God is truly able to control these things, but God uh, only controls in one big sense, which is God makes sure that salvation is achieved in those in certain places because the infrastructure is there for it. It's always going to be there. There's always going to be, the, say, the Marantia realms. Uh, so even if Urantia gets snuffed out, so to, so to speak, the Marantia realms are still there. Good point. Uh, so there can be these isolated rebellion planets that don't make it. And it, re- it is the case that it is not guaranteed. It is not guaranteed. It is not predetermined as Luther and Calvin and Augustine all said, the medieval Catholics said, no, all of this, especially Calvin, all of this, it's all going to work out, all of it. There's not going to be anything lost. But the Rancher book does not say that. There's going to be losses that are, uh, that are, cannot be, the, 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 the losses of souls that are unredeemed. Because they chose not to, not to yeah. not to survive, so that, that that's why the the the, the uh, these great thinkers fell into pre- predestination uh, as as their only way out and their only way to do to do theodicy. They said, "Well, you know, God is all loving and all powerful. Period, and so therefore, no one is ever lost except those who end up in hell. <laughs> so they're not lost." They're they're getting just desserts. <laughs> they're getting justice. So so that so they they don't have any notion of of souls that are entirely lost. Let's talk about the evil, the sin, and the demonic. There's the internal, the original sin, which we haven't really touched on. But this idea that we're all born with sin in our DNA, uh, and that's been addressed by open theists. Most open theists have moved away from that concept, or is, is it strictly a Western evangelical thing, or do a majority of Christians, Catholics, still hold that we are originally in sin? Yeah, of course, you know, conservative Catholics, at least, uh, still hold to original sin, 
and, and it should be noted because we haven't touched on it that the Eastern Eastern Orthodox have a an alternate alternate narrative about this. It's very important that uh, because the as a as a, an important footnote is that original sin means you're you're so depraved that you cannot work your way to salvation by your own will by your own effort you you are uh stripped of your uh powers uh to do that sort of in in a cooperative relationship god has to do everything uh for you uh and you uh are really kind of passive except through faith where you accept god's grace and forgiveness the the eastern view is not is that is not the Eastern view, and this is extremely important for your ranch book readers, which is we don't hold to that view. We hold to the more the Eastern Christian view, which is that the human will is not depraved, and we can work cooperatively with deity for our salvation and, and progression, and that is the minority view in Christianity because of the preponderance of, of the Western uh, church, right? Uh, but the Eastern Church is is not given its due credit because they figured this out, and that is uh, why uh, the Urantia book is of should be a great interest to Eastern Orthodox Christians. So, th- thank you for letting me go into that footnote, but it's sure. uh, it's important. Let's talk a little bit about the idea, which is I'm glad you brought it up in your book about. The distinction that was made that that Lucifer can protest against God, and God allows him to do that, and you put a kind of a take on it which was unique. Go into that a little bit about how God allows for sort of domains that his created sons have jurisdiction over. Yeah, certainly, and that's that's a part of the beauty of the of the of the cosmology of the Rancher book, which. Reminds me, or at least me, of something like the federal government of the United States, right? So you delegate authority to uh, to one of the states of the union, and in that state, the governor has a lot of autonomy, and uh, and you you cannot you cannot easily remove a governor. You can't really remove a governor of a state from Washington. I mean, there there would be ways to do. There are checks and balances for everything, so you can sort of do it. So that that's the same thing with Lucifer. Lucifer is like a governor of a state, you know, a local system, and and there's these agreements are are sacred agreements with with Nebadon, with the Nebadon govern, government. The, the, so there's a prior agreement, and same with Calagastia. There's a there's a prior agreement that cannot be abrogated. Unless you go to like the Supreme Court, right? Saying saying when the United States you have to go to the Supreme Court uh, to settle a lot of these things. So you have to go to the Ancients of Days to settle the 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 that dispute. You can't Michael and Mother cannot settle that dispute. They don't have the the authority to do it. <clears throat> so therefore, you can have Michael come onto the planet, but he can't settle it fully. And and so so that that that's. That's part of your theodicy, you know. That's the, the you know evil is dealt with through uh, legal means as well as 
uh, other means, the legal means, is the infrastructure. So you can't violate the infrastructure because those are sacred agreements with deity, and deity never violates its promises. And isn't it interesting to look at it that way? People ask, well, why is the devil free to roam? Well, there's a jurisdictional problem here, and he's not going to abrogate his own system. He chose to divest of himself and his trusted creatures, and uh, sometimes they err, just like sometimes we have governors that decide to do what they want to do, you know, and other times they don't. Uh, Okay, so we've covered a lot. Um, What was your favorite chapter? What part of the book was your favorite, and what was your least favorite? What was the most (laughs) difficult? So I would say my favorite was chapter three, which is about the Eastern Orthodox uh, view of evil. And I grew up in that church, so it's, it's more, uh, more of my style, you might say. And I liked it because I discovered what I really kind of already knew, which was was that they're closer to the Arantia book truth than, uh, than I, than even I thought because of this partnership view of the relationship of creature creator. That is mm-hmm. that it's really quite inspiring, and that's why when you read chapter three, you you probably feel my my sense of love for that for that tradition uh, that they arrived at this and this more open view, um, and 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 my uh, slight disdain for the east the western view, which uh, stripped that off. In other words, they they don't give you a way out. Uh, through your own uh, decisions, it, and, and it's sort of like we're like it's like a feudal view that that we're like slaves and God has to do everything for us. Uh, so the the hardest uh, the hardest chapter was 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 the chapter about Saint Augustine. Why why was that? What you see with him is this absolutely world class genius. It's just so impressive. Uh, what he does, but so misguided in his assigning of original sin without really any uh, precedent. It's there in St. Paul, but in a kind of poetic way. And Augustine is this sort of, I don't know, kind of dark figure in a way that he embraces it. And, and, it, it, and he's, so, he's so brilliant that it's still persuasive. Uh, to this day, and conservative Catholics who are all over the place still have this view. And so I wanted to be able to present that in a way that was fair to conservatives. Why did Europe adopt the more Roman view, the more Pauline view of Christianity, as opposed to, say, with the Greeks? And Correct. As you put it, that this relational view that he had, which is true to the, to the Orthodox teachings, the actual teachings, was one that is human empowering. It's it's really a kind of humanism, but it's Christian humanism. Whereas the the West mm. uh, was under the aegis of the Roman coercive worldview, and the problem with Saint Augustine is that he too was he did not rise above it really, and that he codified a view uh, where we are powerless. It's not a humanistic view in the sense that, say, Abner would have had that we are junior partners and the senior partner is, is the father, yeah. uh, the indwelling spirit, etc. So he doesn't have, there's nowhere in there that there's no, there's a hint of it, but 
the notion of of what the East calls divinization, where the, or deification, where where the self is attaining uh, higher and higher levels of of God consciousness, uh, is not in the East. The Western view breaks out here and there in the mystics, Avalon. By the way, nice job at integrating the Urantia book in the way that you explain it, because I am sure that a lot of people reading your book may not have any notion whatsoever of the Urantia book. And so the way that I think that you presented it made it sound less outlandish and more uh, sophisticated, I think. It was hard. To, you know, first of all, I had to talk uh, a professor into allowing me to cover it in my thesis. And... Uh, that's that allowed me to write this in the first place under the guide and under the guidance of a real good uh, theological faculty. Now talking this guy into it, it was pretty tough. But I had written papers for him, he, and he knew I was kind of a grown up. I was double the age of the other students there, and so I gave him a Urantia book. And uh, to his credit, he read a lot of it. And if he hadn't done that, it would have been impossible. And it would have disproven my uh, my my hypothesis, which is somebody in Christianity can get this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it would only be a pretty sophisticated theologian who could get in the ballpark. And so he did. And my second reader was uh, a pretty radical feminist theologian. And, and to this day, she is in dialogue with me. Uh, she picked up a fascination for the UB because of my my master's thesis. Let's talk about the presence of evil in today's world. How do we respond uh, as individuals who subscribe to the Urantia book, Theodicy, or Philosophy, or uh, Perception? How do we address this rampant evil that seems to be taking the world by storm? And you brought up a very good point about the Urantia book being a response to the current evils in the world today. And you also pointed out that the book was actually finished right at the time that the atom bomb was dropped. And I had never made that connection. Yeah, that, that, thank you. That, that, that's, uh, that's, that's an observation uh, the, the, that following Matthew Block's discovery that there were you know, small changes made in 1945, which you know, is disputed, but, but I think he's right that, that, you know, that it was time, you know, so the deepest revelation time for the when we made our most uh, grievous iniquitous behavior on earth and 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 so it seems that we're headed in in a similar direction now with the climate with you know war in ukraine with war maybe against china uh, and and all these other things that they're right in our face every day that we haven't exactly learned the lesson and i think one of the problems with for the Arantia people in this connection is that we tend to think of the book in isolation. And I think it's a huge error, right? Uh, you know, to be book disseminators is kind of into a vacuum, right? Versus this is part of a lineage where deity's trying to reach us. And you and I have talked about this before, I think last time, is trying to reach us uh, through, uh, mainly through the Christian uh, uh, lineage. And our main audience is to, is them and they have to take the leadership we can catalyze them they have to get and, and and in particular the liberal christians don't really have a notion of sin that 
is strong enough to be honest. In other words, this is the conservative part of the Urantia argument, which is that the the sinful tendencies are very strong because of the presence uh, of Caligastia, all these you know all these millennia, and the Luciferic orientation of our elites, and uh, the UB is needed to revive this notion of the supernatural realm being being way off, uh, you know, that we have. So we are under a very difficult legacy and we should take a cue from conservative Christians, even though most of us are liberal in our Christianity, that we, we tend to be almost, you know, moving toward new age, you know, new age being this notion that there, you know, that you've over exaggerated the thing about sin, it's over exaggerated. We're perfectible, right? Yeah, that is that can be really damaging to the Rancho movement, and I and I think I've felt and seen the damage to the Rancho movement that it's going in that direction of a liberal New Age view. We're in a way prophets to to the to the Christians. You know, the theologians that I met, and these are more academic theologians. They are embattled people. They they are you know my my seminary was a very distinguished seminary. They're running out of money. They 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 sold off part of their quadrangle to a private developer and built a forty story building in the middle of the of the campus to stay in business. That's to give an example. These people know uh, that that they're they're not giving they're not being listened to by our culture. Their 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 influence is waning. And why is that? You know. So you know, I said to my professors. The Rancher book is offering criti- not cri- criticism, but correction on certain doctrines like the omnipotence of deity that that you guys need to hear yeah. <laughs> on the atonement doctrine, of course, and, and the virgin birth. These things we all see through that, but here's here's deity. God is is helping you. You know, God loves you, uh, Mister and Mrs. Theologian is giving you the correction in this sophisticated text that is unsurpassed. And so if we can convey that to Christian leaders, it's not easy, but it's doable. Then they can take up the, they have the institutions to do this. We don't have them. We don't have seminaries. We don't have endowments of millions of dollars. We don't have libraries with uh, 800,000 books. They have them. They are the ones that should be carrying this torch. And so I, I think I've made some inroads with a few professors. And we'll see how this book gets reviewed because we're sending it out to all of the all of the journals, all the theological journals. Do you think that Caligastia is what's what do you think he wants the outcome to be? What what what's Caligastia's horse in this race? Well, we all knew, know that you know the the rancher movement is a, is a critical uh, uh, intervention, and it it, it is nearing. Uh, you know, certain people think this is kind of in default because it's really unknown uh, to the elite leadership of the planet, and particularly to the church. Uh, so that would be his agenda, which is you know keep this out of the hands of smart Christians, and watch watch as the church goes into greater and greater decline. And which it has done, and, and, but the the sort of the salvation for the church is the ranch revelation. So the ranch revelation, you know, keep it keep it isolated, keep it put it in the hands of 
well-meaning people interested in their own spiritual growth rather than into the institutional, uh, putting it into the hands of, of this great civilization called Western Christian civilization. That's where it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a little sect with, you know, tiny little study groups um, with people over 60. And, you know, and that, <laughs> that's retired. really kind of, you know, that, that's the sad reality that we're part of a lineage back to Christ and back to all, all this stuff. We're, we're in a big river together. And, and so we have to bring up our brothers and sisters from the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, otherwise, this will default. What a critical part of this thing, it's not addressed in my book so much, but yeah, I mean, you know, what a, it's giving you all the tools you need. And so why, why does a guy like me go to a seminary and find no one at this famous seminary, sort of the Orantia book, <clears throat> and that we can give a platform for science, for philosophy, that, that, they, that they can accept with the teachings of Jesus? Because I know you do a lot for public speaking, and if there are people who might want to bring you uh, into their groups, what's a good way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's Byron. It's the same old email address, Byron at originpress.com. And again, we appreciate Byron Bledsoe stopping by and talking to us about his latest book, which you can buy on Amazon.com, called The Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic by Byron Beletsos. We so appreciate him stopping by. If you have comments or questions, feel free to email me at urantiabookradio at gmail.com, and we will air this periodically also on our Urantia Radio channel, which you can find at urantiaradio.net. Until next time, God bless, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>